Hi, welcome to Sam Lives Here, a podcast for parents who have lost a son or daughter to addiction. I'm Angie, and I recently lost my 23-year-old son, Sam. Too many parents like us are suffering alone. It's time to get real about losing our kids this way and to share our stories openly and without shame. I'm here to talk about the experience, trauma, and guilt we are left with when our kids die this way, but most importantly, to find insight and healing along the way. We can't bring our kids back, but I believe that we can and should become stronger now because it's the only choice we have. Do you ever find yourself thinking about the ways that you changed your own life and the choices that you made that you normally wouldn't have during your kids or your loved one's addiction? In today's episode, I'm going to cover four topics, and that's going to be the first one. I'm going to tell you about the choices that I made, including a few of the completely unreasonable ones. Second, I'm going to talk about the awkwardness of grief and how it can affect us in society and in our relationships. Third, I'm going to briefly talk about energy and why it's super important to listen to our own energy and what it's trying to tell us. We tend to override it, but at this time, it's super important not to. And fourth, I'm going to give an update on my own timeline of grief as I move forward. I'm going to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. And as always, I'm going to leave you with three small but really important and powerful action steps you can take right now today to begin your healing process and start moving forward. And as always, I will also leave you with the weekly limerick. I'm not a professional, I'm a grieving mom, and I'm here to talk about Sam's addiction, his death, the aftermath of his death, and my experience as I try to heal and move on. Also, the topics I talk about right now, at nine months in to Sam's death, I really want to go short, easy, simple. A lot of these topics are much, much deeper than I cover, and as I move forward through my grief, and as this podcast goes on, I hope to get a little bit deeper, but right now I have a feeling anybody who's listening to these first episodes that's newer to their grief, we're just going to talk about little tiny chunks at a time that I can deal and you guys can accept if you listen to this podcast that you can hear that you don't feel overwhelmed by. So what choices and what things in my own life did I do differently in response to Sam's addiction. Well, one time I turned down a full-time job that I didn't really love the idea of, but I certainly would have taken because I was a pretty newly divorced mom. I was living in an apartment and I was desperately wanting to save up and buy a house again. I chose not to take this job because I needed to be available to Sam. I needed to take him to meetings, to treatment, I needed to take him to school. I needed to get him where he needed to go, and I, did not want to fe- I didn't want that to become an issue in our lives. Second, another thing I did is that I became friends with his dad again. And the reason that we did this is because I think we were pretty scared, and so we just kind of randomly, offhandedly ended up spending every single birthday and every single holiday together. Now, looking back, I don't know if that was the best decision to make. I think we all wanted to spend as much time with Sam together as we could. But as I look back, I think, well, I will never know if the separation would have been a better way to go. And of course, when you divorce, 
the obvious is to move apart from each other, to separate your lives. And so in this way, we stayed intermingled until about seven months after Sam's death. And of course, I can't speak for him, but if it hadn't been for Sam's addiction, that is not a choice I would have made. The third thing that I did was I opened myself up to be judged, which is something that I don't normally do. And the way that I did this was after Sam had his first heroin overdose, I started talking about it publicly. With Sam's permission, I started posting on social media. So doing this was something that I normally avoid. I was opening myself up to criticism and judgment for having a son that's addicted to hard drugs. But for the first time in my life, I got really courageous about things like this. I decided that their judgment, potential judgment, I should say, was less important than a growing and staggering epidemic that has, since Sam's first overdose, this epidemic has exploded. So I'm glad that I started talking about it. So I also made not regular lifestyle or life, big life choices, but I made some other choices that seem, or that aren't really normally me. I followed Sam around. I followed his friends around. I called his friends. I walked the streets of Denver with his picture. I exchanged numbers with other addicted people on the streets. I, the weirdest thing I did, the harshest thing I did was actually dangerous because I took my two smaller children as well as a huge kitchen knife that was very sharp. And we slowly drove down Colfax looking for Sam. And then when we got to one of the parks in Denver, I took them through the park. It was at night. It was probably 9 or 10 at night. And the three of us, along with the big knife concealed in a bag, walked through the park. That's something I normally would never, ever do. I, I really did put them in danger, but that's not the way that my brain was thinking. So sometimes when you think about our actions, our own behaviors and our actions and the things that we had to adjust in our own lives due to our kids' addiction, it's easy to get judgmental. And we, but we were just trying to save their lives. So this is why we made these shifts. This is why I hung out with the next husband for years. I was just trying to save his life. And the second topic I want to talk about today <clears throat> The next topic I want to talk about today is the awkwardness, the social awkwardness of grief. The reason we have social awkwardness is because we often have these huge sudden shifts in emotions. We might see somebody one day, we might actually have a smile on our face, we might be happy about something, that we might think that that person's going to report to everybody how good we're doing, and then we might see that same person later on that day, or maybe the next day, and hardly be able to move, hardly be able to breathe because we're so grief-stricken. And this puts this awkwardness between you and this person because they're like, they see you the second time, they're like, hey. And then all of a sudden they look at your face and they don't really know how to respond. Like, oh, gosh. And so this unspoken dance between us and the rest of society. Sometimes we feel like, we are too happy. Something good happened. We smiled too much. It's too soon after our kid's death. Sometimes we feel like we're too grief-stricken. We're weak. We're not moving on fast enough. In fact, one thing that happened to me, which was super awkward, is that after Sam's death, of course, I continued to post on social media. And one of my old 
high school acquaintances at about six weeks responded, replied to a a message or a, a post that I had put out. And he said, you've got to move on. Life is for living. And his reasoning for putting this post out was that a million years ago, because we're almost 60, so probably in his 20s sometimes, so 35, 40 years ago, he lost a baby daughter. And while I am was really sad for his loss because losing a child is losing a child, he's had a lot more time to process this. So people do feel this way sometimes. They feel like, hey, come on, move on. And I guess the point is, is that we can't really control these emotions and we should not feel guilty or super bad about this. It doesn't mean that we're not moving forward. It doesn't mean we're moving forward too fast. It doesn't mean that we're moving forward too slowly. Each of us is, as I've talked about before, is on our own grief timeline. So one really awkward thing that happened to me, this is the last point I'm going to make, was at a wedding. I want to share it with you. It was a big family wedding. And I was participating in this wedding. Not, I wasn't part of the wedding, but I was at the wedding. And it was one of the first occasions that I had been really excited to attend since Sam had died. And I got to the wedding and then I was triggered. And the trigger hit me so hard, I absolutely couldn't control my internal response. My anxiety was out the roof. So I made it through the wedding and then in one of the reception lines, I was talking to a young woman who had a little girl and I asked her, is this your first child? And she said, yes. And then she said, do you have children? And I said, yes. And she said, how many? And I literally stood there with my mouth hanging open. It was like a scene out of a movie. I didn't say anything. I couldn't say anything. And the interesting part about this is I had actually thought about this question and the fact that it was certainly going to come to me at one point in my life, possibly at many points, how was I going to respond to it? So in advance, I had already decided when this question got asked, I would say, I have four children, three of them are still living. But that message did not come to the top of my head. Instead, I stood and stared at her. And like she was talking in slow motion, she said, again, how many kids do you have? And then I managed to give my response that I had planned out. I have four kids and three of them are still breathing. But that conversation ended up putting me over the top. I was so triggered, not by that, but by something else that I literally couldn't concentrate and I couldn't think straight. So what I ended up doing was I decided to inconspicuously leave the wedding and drive home. And while it would have been awkward if I would have gone around and told people I was leaving, I just sort of told my one son, Spencer, and I snuck out and I drove home. And instantly when I got on the road, my anxiety level started to settle down like I was taking care of myself. So this actually brings us into our third point or our fourth, third or fourth point. No, third point, actually. So this brings us into our third point about our own personal energy, because this is exactly how our energy speaks to us when we're off energy, when we're doing the wrong thing, when we're connecting with the wrong people, we have the feeling inside our body knows it before our brain picks up on it. So often what we do is we feel this little 
feeling that's not quite right. So we try to override it with our brain. We try to make decisions of how to make it right. But really we have to take actions. When we're in a spot that isn't the right energy, we need to remove ourselves from that spot. Because as I've said over and over and over, our, our, our actual energy of amount that we have to give out is so limited that when we allow this personal energy, these feelings of discomfort, these feelings of anxiety, because we're doing the wrong thing or hanging with the wrong people, when we let those build up, we're really destabilizing our grief process. We're hindering it. So in response to this, I just want to talk about how do you understand, how do you adhere to that? You actually listen. You actually take some space when you're in a situation and honestly listen to what your body's trying to tell you. The protection of this, the protection of being with people and doing things that build us up is so, so important during this time. So I want to move on to the last point, which is my own timeline. But first, I'm going to recap the first three points of this podcast. So reconciling with our kid's death, healing, and beginning to move forward also means reconciling with the choices we made and the behaviors that might not be congruent with who we are, those choices and behaviors that we made during that time. Second, grief can make life really socially awkward. And we are exactly where we need to be at this time. We need to honor it and we need to use our energy. This is the third point. We need to use our intuition, which is our energy. We need to listen to that little voice inside us to guide us. And now I might want to move on to my own personal timeline. How am I progressing? So one thing is that I've noticed my hair is falling out in droves. And I know that that can be stress-related. There's three different reasons, which I'm not going to get into. But I do know that that is a process that I am going through. It's part of the way that my body is responding to stress. The other thing that is going on with me is that one of the classes that I teach in yoga, which is called Yoga Sculpt, has started to be an experience (laughs) that I don't even like anymore, that I kind of dread. I sort of panic when I'm planning the classes I'm sort of panicked when I start. It always works out in the long run, but it's creating enough anxiety in my life when I know that these classes are coming up and they're also the most difficult classes to find a sub for if you need not to teach that day. So I removed that from my life as of September. So the big news here is that yesterday was the nine-month anniversary of the day that I found out that Sam was dead. This was... The first time since he died that I chose a different response. The reason is, is because I have linked four days of every single month to being some of the worst days in my life and to being days that I can't possibly be happy or move through. The first date is the 4th of November, which is the date that I'm convinced that Sam actually died. The second date is the 13th of November, which is the date that a little girl discovered his body, which made his death true. The third is the 14th of November, which is the day that I found out that he was dead and my life changed forever. And the fourth date is November 20th, which is the date that we all connected and got together to mourn Sam's death. So I decided that I'm going to change my response to those dates. Then instead of sitting on the couch and mourning and only thinking about Sam and what was going on on that day nine months ago, 
I'm going to do something different. On those dates, I'm going to do something more positive. So what I did yesterday is I signed up for paragliding lessons my first my first time. And it's kind of cool because it's going to be another way to get in the air. But I decided that instead of sitting and thinking about Sam all day, I was going to give myself a project or an experience that really drew me away, that I couldn't possibly sit in my grief for at least a few hours. And it was super, super empowering. It's super empowering to get out there and to make a decision that you're going to live your grief a little bit differently. When I got home, I did grieve and I did cry significantly. And I did feel my personal energies just drain out of my body. But for those four or five hours, I was learning something new. I was engaging my brain. And the brain just isn't capable of doing two things at once. I can't be in severe mourning and be learning at the same time. So what I did is I gave myself a break for those few hours. And that's my intention to do on all of these dates every month that bring back these emotions. So we're going to close out here and I'm going to remind you of our three action steps to take every single day. These steps are so, so small, but when we begin to take small steps, we can link them to eventual bigger steps and we pull ourselves forward. So every single day, do one thing that gives you joy. If you're new to your grief, nothing's going to give you joy. So do one thing that you can safely and intentionally do that used to give you joy. Secondly, do one thing that makes your life better. Nothing is worse than losing our son or daughter or loved one to addiction, having them die, having them leave us. But what tends to happen is we start to let everything else go. What I want to remind you of is that by letting the other responsibilities in our life go, we're just adding to our grief. We're not really honoring it by saying, I don't really care about anything else. We're kind of adding to it. We're piling on because the body knows when we're not moving through the steps that we're supposed to do. It adds to the stress when it knows that our bills are late and our house is a mess. The third thing and the most important thing is every single day, connect with at least one person who both understands you and supports you in this journey. Life is about connections. We know that our addicted loved one did not have these connections and we are not capable of healing and moving on from our grief of losing them without these connections. It's so important. And as we build our strength back up, we can turn around and help somebody else who's standing exactly where we are right now. Here is today's limerick. It's not today I can't get through. It's the thought of forever without you. Life became stranger when death whisked you from danger. And now healing and truth I pursue. Thank you for stopping in. Have a peaceful day and I will see you next Tuesday.